This is Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What if you had 30 seconds to explain to somebody why you follow Jesus? There is a famous story about a preacher who was uh, brought up in a family where they were sailors. Okay, so he sailed his whole life. And so even though he was a preacher, he kind of had uh, the uh, affluence to continue to be a a sailor. And so he, he enjoyed sailing. And of course, you can imagine that that kind of allowed him to rub shoulders with a lot of people who had tons and tons of money. Okay, and that gave him the opportunity to go to lots and lots of parties and soirees where people with lots of money would do these things. And one time he was invited out to a ship, not not a sailboat, a ship. It was the kind of ship where you had to take a smaller ship to get to it, a smaller boat called a dinghy. <laughs> so he got in his dinghy and uh, went out to the boat and there's a ladder that he climbed up to get onto the boat. That's how everybody got on the boat. And there was this great party and there are lots of people there. And most of them, uh, if not all of them, uh, knew really nothing about Jesus. But they learned uh, after hanging around him for a while that he was a preacher and that he followed Jesus and that kind of thing. And and, uh, they had a good time at the party. And after the party, a few of them are seeing him down the ladder. And he gets three steps down And one of the most influential people looks down at him and in front of everybody says, so tell me again why you follow this Jesus guy. Why are you a Christian? And there on the ladder, looking up at this group of people, he has about 30 seconds. What would you say? Here's what he said. The reason that I follow Jesus very quickly is because religion is about doing things. It's about what you do. It's about doing the right things so that you're right with God. But Christianity isn't that way at all. Christianity isn't about do. Christianity is about done because it's about what Jesus has already accomplished for us on the cross. Jesus has given his perfect life in place of our sinful life. And because of his sacrifice, we can have a right relationship with God because of what he has already done. Why am I a follower of Jesus? Because it's not about what I do. It's about what has already been done. Isn't that a great little 30 second elevator pitch for for Christianity? Maybe we should, we should memorize that. And as we go through the book of Galatians, 
The book of Galatians tells us that Christianity and the gospel are different than any other religion. We're going to say it one more time. We've been saying it all this time that we're in the book of of, uh, Galatians. But all other religions say basically do the right thing or you're going to get it. Do the right thing or you'll be judged. Do the right thing or you're not going to end up in the right place, right? That's it. But Christianity comes along and says, no, no, no. The essence of Christianity isn't about what we do. The heartbeat, the essence of Christianity is what is already done on our behalf. Other religions don't or do or you'll be judged, but Christianity is Jesus was judged for you and it's all done. And what we have to do, if anything, is to accept what Jesus has already done. And we accept that through faith in baptism with confession and repentance being a part of that picture. And, and then we rest in the fact that we are right before God because of what Jesus has done. And so Christianity has this very different cast to it. And so we've framed it up this way, that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing, right? And if we get to the end of the Galatians, Paul is going to tell us how to do that. How do we do this life where the pressure is off and we already have this right relationship with God? Doesn't that mean we just get to do whatever we want? And Paul says, absolutely not. Because it's about honoring what has been done for us now. What does that look like? And Paul, as he winds up his letter here in chapter 6, is going to give us two final warnings And then later in coming weeks, we're going to look at two final invitations that Paul gives us. So today, two final warnings. Number one warning, I'll try to do very quickly. Uh, Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Warning number one, we are students. We are students. Go back to your school days (laughs) when you were a student. It means that we need to be like that when it comes to the gospel. What kind of student will we be is the question. And if Paul lines out the ideal student that we should be or what the win is, the win is this, the students who share with teachers who share. That's, that's the picture. We should be students who share with the teachers who share with us. And so how do we get there? Number one, don't waste, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. The text says, let the one who is taught, that word, that phrase, who is taught, is where we get our word catechism. Uh, Anybody heard of a catechism? Maybe you've come out of a faith tradition where there were catechism. A catechism is a body of truth. It's usually that somebody learns. It's usually learned in question and answer form. It's usually memorized. And you usually learn it with the help of somebody else drilling you until you kind of know the material in the body of truth that you're trying to learn. And so churches have catechism classes where they bring kids in and, and they learn all kinds of things. That's the word. And the point is that we have so little time. We have so little time and so much to know. Be a learner of the word and use your time very well every day. Then carve out a little bit for some flashcard work. You remember flashcards? <laughs> oh, some of us hated flashcards, right? And yet Paul says that's the kind of student we need to be. That's the kind of help that we need to get from somebody else to be a learner. Uh, what Paul's saying here is to be a student in the front row. You know those students, right? Maybe you were one. Maybe you were a back row student. Anybody back row? Yeah, I was in the back row. 
Uh, but the number one factor in growing is for you to take ownership, to open up the Bible every day, and to learn and to study and read and pray. You won't grow if you never do that. That's the number one thing that will get you going where you need to go. And Paul says here, to do that, just be a student in the front row. Be a student in the front row. Number two, don't neglect community. There was a kind of student that I remember in college. Um, it was, it, this student was mysterious. Uh, the student was invisible. Um, I found out that this student could actually take classes without any tests, without any papers. There was no pressure. Their name was never called at attendance time, right? And those mysterious, invisible students that really were never in class were called auditors. Did any of you ever audit a class in college? No. (laughs) Do you know why? Because auditors don't get credit for the class. And so if there are auditors, they show up and they'll show up for a couple weeks and then they disappear. Why? Because there's nothing on the line. There's nothing to keep them there. A regular student has the pressure of tests and papers and professors' judgments. And so students have something at stake in the class. And they, so they group up together and they study together and they go to the professor and they say, why this and how that? And they have questions in class and there's this give and take. There's this sharing that takes place in the learning process. And that's the word that Paul uses here. I want the students to share all good things with the teachers who share. The word is koinonia. It's back, it's found in Acts chapter 2, where the, the apostles devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's the word. That's the word. We learn in fellowship. And Paul's point is that if you're going to grow in grace and really understand the gospel, you can't audit. You have to take the class for real. You have to be a student. You have to find some people that you can group up with and really learn from. Koinonio is the word for fellowship. And that's more than coming to church and just listening. It's being a part of a group where more mature and less mature people are in community. And they are instructing each other. They're learning from each other. They're sharing with each other. That can't happen in our main services on Sunday morning. And so for the third week in a row, I'm going to drive you to a smaller group than the, than the group in this room. And that's what we need to be about. Don't neglect community. Number three, don't be a consumer. Don't be a consumer. The text says to share with those who help you. It means to be a contributor, not just a consumer. We are so used to being consumers. We show up at the store and we look at the shelves and we say, I want that. And we leave. You know, we buy it and we leave. That's, that's consumer mentality. And when we, when we have that in church, then we never get to the place where we are really students. Otherwise, we could just listen to podcasts, right? I mean, we put our podcasts online. Why not just listen to podcasts all the time? It's because the one thing that podcasts will never be able to do is to establish that relationship between people where one person learns and grows because of another person in that smaller group. That's why the church will always be relevant because we always need those kind of relationships in our life. We can't find them just with earbuds in. And so contribute to that. Don't just be a consumer. 
Be a contributor. Number four, don't be misled. Paul goes on in verse seven. He says, don't be deceived. It's not the first time in this letter that he's had that kind of a statement. He said, I am astonished at you people. Uh, If you remember, we had a whole series on, oh, dear idiots, who has bewitched you? Uh, We have heard Paul say, maybe I've labored over you in vain. And this kind of statement is in line with all of those other kind of statements. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You don't win when you pretend that this thing that we do, this faith that's Jesus that we follow is no big deal. You can't just shrug this off. And what he means is that I'm trying once again, this is my last ditch effort as I close the letter to try to get you to hold on to the truth because it's the only thing that will save you. And so this God is not mocked. Don't be deceived leads us into the second warning from Paul. The second warning is this, that we are sowers. We are sowers. We're not just students, but we are sowers. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. Whether you are aware of it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are sowing something right now in your life. And so the question is, what kind of a sower will you be? What kind of seeds will you scatter about? And Paul gives us, like he did for the student part, he gives us what the win is. He gives us the end result, the goal that we should all be after. It's down in verse 10, and it says, do good to all, especially other believers. And when we sow in the right ways, that's how we'll know that we're doing the right thing. When we're able to do good to everyone, especially the people in the household of faith. And so how do we get there? I love this metaphor that Paul uh, sticks with. It helps us a lot. And I say sticks with because back in chapter 5, he talked about the fruit of the spirit. And there was this agricultural metaphor and he stays with it here. He says, what you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And what Paul is getting at here, one of the things is that there's a way that the universe and the systems within it are designed to work. There are natural judgments that come upon us depending on whether we operate with or against those natural systems that are built into the universe. And it tells us what's going on and why we go wrong. And so the first thing I'm going to encourage you to do here is, number one, honor the design. Honor the design. Verse 7, let me, uh, whatever you sow, you will reap. Let me explain this idea with two words. The first word is absolutes, absolutes. Design of any kind means that there are fixed, unmovable principles at play. There are absolutes. That's what one of the things Paul's getting at here when he says, a man reaps what he sows. Then he says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And so in physical nature, There are objective absolutes that you have to adapt to, okay? Let me give you an example. Gravity, right? If I choose to step off of the stage, what will happen? Gravity will take over. I will fall. Hopefully, there's a step underneath the foot 
that I step off the stage with, okay? Mathematics is another. There are things built into the fabric of the universe that are absolute. Mathematics is one of those. One pound of blackberries plus another pound of blackberries equals blackberry cobbler. Yes, every time at my house, blackberry cobbler. No, it's two, right? Uh, Two plus two is four. Four plus four is eight. Every, every time. These are written into the fabric of nature and we ignore those truths at our peril, right? But what Paul is saying is that there's not only an objective natural physical order, but there's also an objective absolute moral order that's been stitched into the fabric of the universe. And he puts it this way, whatever a man sows, that's what he reaps. And there are two words that we need to pay attention here. I'm giving you two words this and two words that just go with me, okay? Uh, First, whatever, whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow corn, you will not reap tomatoes. It does not work that way. It doesn't matter how much you say, I hope these will be tomatoes. It doesn't matter how much you believe they might turn out to be tomatoes. It doesn't matter how much you feel, oh, I think these are going to be tomatoes. It doesn't matter how deeply in your gut you think this is true. If you sow corn, you're going to get corn. That's the way it works. It's an objective fact. If you sow tomatoes, you'll get tomatoes. If you sow nothing, you'll get nothing. If you sow poorly, you'll get a poor crop. If you sow well, you'll get a good crop. And we could go on and on. And no matter how much you believe that these are really going to come up tomatoes, if it's a corn seed, it's going to be corn. So whatever you sow, you will reap. Second word, whatever you sow, you will reap. It will happen. It will come up. You sow seeds maybe for watermelon and it may look a lot, a long time, like nothing is happening at all. It may be very gradual, but eventually the process that is built in to nature that is designed to work in a certain way will in fact work and watermelon will come in. Now, this isn't what most people think. It's very different from what our culture believes and maybe what some of you may even think. In the physical realm, We are fine with saying, you know what, even if you choose not to believe gravity is true, it's still true for you. You can test that. If you feel like gravity isn't true, go jump off a building and it will still be true regardless of what you believe about gravity, right? It's easy in the physical realm to say those kind of things. But once we cross into the spiritual realm, we have a hard time. We have a hard time believing them. We think this is very different in the spiritual realm. We say things like this in our culture. If you don't believe that it's immoral, then it's not immoral for you, right? If this action is wrong, fine, but that's your belief and I have my beliefs. And the fact is that whatever I believe this action is makes it So, if I believe it's moral, it's moral. If I don't believe it's moral, it's not moral. That's how we operate. We have a hard time believing that there is an objective moral order in the same way, when we get to ethics and spirituality, in the same way that there is an objective physical order when we talk about gravity or mathematics. And what Paul is doing here, right up close, right in our face, he's saying, no way, hold on, 
There is, in fact, an objective moral order built in to the universe. You ignore it at your own peril. It is very, very strong. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And so, honor the design. Honor the design. There's no design without purpose. I could take my watch and I could start to hammer a nail with my watch. What would I do with my watch? I'd destroy it. Why? Because it's not designed to drive a nail. For that, I need what's designed to drive a nail, and it's a hammer. And there are certain things that we were designed for, okay? And that's what we need to be about. Otherwise, we break. I'll get to that in a second. The second word is agriculture. And like I said, this is uh, the same kind of thought from chapter 5. And when Paul says, God can't be mocked, it's his way of saying what the Bible says in a lot of other places, that your sin will eventually find you out. Whatever you sow, you will reap. There are natural processes in play that are as natural as an ear of corn developing on a stalk in a cornfield. There's an organic side to the absolutes that, that just nature naturally progresses in certain ways. And I can give you several examples. Let's go to the farm first, okay? If you sow poorly on the farm, you starve. That's how it works. It happens gradually. It doesn't happen immediately. It happens gradually and slowly. But the end, uh, in the end, the punishment or the reward are completely linked to the beginning, right? One always leads to the other. If I sow poorly, I starve. If I sow well, I eat and live, and maybe I even have cable TV. That, that's the way it works, okay? Here's, a, here's another example in your refrigerator, There's a natural process at work. There are things in your refrigerator like cake and ice cream and cheese and butter and sausage and bacon, right? Anybody? Yes? Okay. If all I feed my mouth is stuff that's filled with fat, then I increase the likelihood that something goes wrong with my body, specifically my heart, because my heart isn't built for that much fat, that much sugar, or that much alcohol. It doesn't work. When you go against the design, the body breaks down. Here's another example. You can find it in your garage, in your garage. Maybe some of you have a vehicle, probably most of you do. And in that vehicle, in the glove box somewhere, tucked behind a bunch of stuff that you got from Taco Bell, is an owner's manual. And the owner's manual inside, on page number one, right under, congratulations, you just bought a car. The next, the very next line is, this car needs oil. That's the way it works. The car needs oil. And it doesn't just need oil once. It will tell you in your owner's manual, you routinely need to change the oil. So if you buy a car and you never look at the oil, then the eventually the natural processes of that design will play out. The engine will overheat. It will say, I'm done, and it will break, and you don't have any more car. That's the way it's designed to work. You never need a guy from Ford or a guy from Chevy following people around and saying, I wonder how I can punish people who never change their oil. That never happens. Why? Because people who don't change their oil punish 
themselves. Right? They don't pay attention to the natural design of the car. And it's exactly the same for us spiritually. There's this absolute process that is organic and natural, and God cannot be mocked. There are natural consequences at play. God doesn't have to follow us around and punish us. We punish ourselves when we ignore the way we are designed. Spiritually, God made your heart in a certain way. And when he says in the Bible, you have to forgive, he's not just saying that so that you have something to do. He's not just giving you busy work. God isn't saying, I wonder how much I can punish people. Let's give them a bunch of rules so I can punish them. No, when God gives directives, it's because he's wanting us to honor the way that we are designed and our hearts worked best when we forgive. That's the way we were designed. When we hold on to bitterness, then we go against the way that God made us to be and eventually our hearts will break. And God says another, uh, in other places, give your money away. We could use that in, as an example. Why? Because if all you ever do is spend your money on yourself, you'll hurt yourself in the end. It will ruin your heart. Your heart was built for generosity. We could, we could throw out sexuality. God built sexuality and what a great gift it is. But it It doesn't work right if you use it like that, right? That's what he says a lot. It will break your heart if you get it out of bounds. And when God gives us ways to live and act, he does so because he wants our joy. He wants us to be everything that we're supposed to be. And so we honor the design. Honor the design. The agriculture metaphor tips us off that there are gradual processes that play out. It's not immediate, of course, right? Of course, you just don't throw a a seed down and then automatically, you know, boom, there's a tomato plant. That's not how it works. And so it's the same thing. Spiritually, it's no different. If you're bitter today, your life probably won't be destroyed today. But stay bitter for a few decades and see where that goes. Having sex with anybody that you feel like isn't going to reap destruction right away, although that can wreck you pretty quickly. But the whole idea is whatever you sow, you will reap. Eventually, it will come back to you because it's going against the fabric of your being. And so to move against the will of God is to move against yourself. One of the things that Paul gives us here is a great definition of sin. We have lots of definitions of sin that we could throw out, but in this text, we get this idea that sin is to move against your design. If God designed you in a certain way and you move against that design, you will break. Sin always disintegrates design and so honor it. Now, how do we do that? First, We have to obey from our position. I could just say we have to obey, but it can't be only that because none of us are good at obeying. (laughs) All of us are pretty horrible at it. And so what the gospel allows us to do is to obey from our position. There is this in Galatians, uh, let let me start with verse 8. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And throughout the letter, Paul has been 
contrasting the flesh with the spirit. He did it for a lot of verses in chapter 5, in verses 16 and 18. And up there, he says that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. And he says the spirit and the law are opposed to each other. So we can deduce from that that the, that the law and the flesh are the same thing. Being under the law and living in the flesh is the same thing. And the whole message of Galatians is to try to get these people to stop trying to earn their own salvation. It will never work. The insanity of trying to do it that way is that we can be the most God-honoring, law-abiding, sin-avoiding people ever, but still be sowing to the flesh. We can still be under the law because we're doing it all without Jesus. All you have to do is put church clothes on people and they look pretty good. And you can do that without Jesus. You can be morally reformed without Jesus at all. And that's where the Galatians were. That's what they were being taught to do. Paul says, that's slavery. Sowing to the Spirit is the opposite. Sowing to the Spirit is to have the sacrifice of Jesus at the heart of everything. It's to know the gospel. It's to know that following Jesus doesn't mean do, but done. I can't do anything more than Jesus has already done to win my salvation or my righteousness before God. And so I let that truth drive me. Look what Jesus has done for me. Look where it's gotten me. I was just an undeserving rebel uh, scrounging in the streets. But because of what Jesus did, I get to move into the palace and live just like I was the son of the king, just like I was the prince himself. And now what does it look like to live in those shoes? Well, it's absolutely different from living like an urchin on the streets, is it not? Yeah. And so when you see life this way, you begin to be free of expectation and pressure, and you have a foundation on which to live a good life. That is sowing to the Spirit. And sowing well means the gospel is at the center of every step that I take. I do the right thing, but it's from the right position, and it's just another way of saying that I obey for the right reason. Motive is everything. In the Christian life. Number two, observe the long-term approach. Verse 9 says, don't let us grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. We will reap if we don't give up. Let's ask ourselves always, if, what if I took this step that I'm taking right now again and again and again and again and again and again? The reward at the end will always overshadow the costs. It may seem like a ton of cost right now to do good. But no gardener gets to the end when they have 752 jars of salsa because they, they planted tomatoes and they, they, they look back and say, oh, those 89-cent tomato packets just weren't worth it. They don't do that. The good you're doing right now, you may not see it, but it's just an 89-cent tomato packet. And when you get down the road, you're going to see what the reward is compared to the cost. It's going to be so much greater. You won't think of anything of the cost. Number three, operate for the sake of others. Verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are the household of faith. God has designed us in a certain way. He's designed us to love. And so let's honor that design. And the way we honor that design is to we make love our environment so that we love all people. So that others can find the life in Jesus 
that we've found. But Paul says this, especially the household of faith. And he goes back to where he started. Don't forget the people around you who are also believers. Live in community, reminding each other always of our position in Christ. And that's why we do the good things that we do. Number four, own your opportunities. Own your opportunities. Paul, I love Paul's qualifier in this last verse of chapter, of, of verse 10, chapter 6. He says, do good to everyone as you have opportunity. Oh, whew, thank you, Paul, for giving me that little qualifier. Because loving everyone, oh my goodness, that's hard. But Paul gives us the bite-sized version. He says, love do, do good to everyone as you have opportunity. And what that means is don't worry about everybody. Worry about whoever is in front of you right now. I don't have to worry about all the people out there. That would be exasperating. I just have to worry about the ones who are in front of me right now. So here at Community, we want to do everything possible to help you to own your opportunities. And so one of the things that I'm going to roll out here in 30 seconds for you is something that you will be, begin to hear, hopefully, on a weekly basis as we go along. This is what we want to be our strategy here at Community Christian Church. We want it to be the heartbeat of, of who, we are, who we are, and we want it to govern our actions so that we sow well, so that when it comes to, to the time where we're, we're reaping, that we're able to reap the naturally occurring fruit of what it means to do good to all people, okay? And so the way we know that we're sowing well is that we are able to do good to all people. And it's our job to try to help you win, and this is the way we want to try to help you. Our community strategy to do good to all is simply to bless, bless, bless. And of course, there's a little more to it than just bless, right? Um, it's an acrostic for actions that we'll, that we'll commit to daily as a congregation. Uh, probably not every, all of them every day, but at least one or two of them every day, okay? Bless. That's what we're going to be about. First, we will begin with God. Begin with God. And that means that I devote a little time each day to Scripture. I devote a little time each day to prayer. And I begin to learn the language of how to speak with God through Scripture and prayer. L is listen. So I'll begin with God, and then I'm just going to listen. I'm going to shut my mouth after I've prayed, after I've read, and I'm going to listen. And I'm not only going to listen to God, but I'm going to try to listen to other people. And... To be strategic about my listening, I'm going to be strategic about how I eat. That's the third one. How many of you are so glad that eating is on there? Oh my goodness, I get to eat every day? That's awesome. Uh, I begin with God, and I listen to God and others, but I eat. God, Jesus, when he, when he was with his disciples, he made this strategic use of every table that he was ever at. He made, especially at the end... He and his 12 disciples are there at this table, and he strategically used this table. And it's a table that we still meet around every day. And so let's pick up on that idea. Let's use the tables in our lives strategically. 
Every time I'm eating with somebody, I'm going to be intentional about listening to them. Where are they? What's happening in their life? What's going on with them? I'm going to be intentional about how I structure my meal time so that I don't often eat alone. I'm always eating with somebody so that I can figure out where they are, so that I can befriend them, so that I can do good to all people. So I'm strategic about where I eat. Begin with God, listen, eat. And when you're strategic about your eating and when you're listening to people, you will know the first S, you'll know how to do it, it's serve. You will know how to serve people because you're listening to where they're at and what they need. And then the last S is story, story. At some point in this relationship, maybe it's with your family, maybe it's with a person that you're trying to win to Christ, maybe it's with a longtime friend. At some point, if you're beginning with God and if you're listening and if you're eating intentionally and if you're serving this person and they really trust you as a friend that's not just going to walk away if they say, no, I don't think I believe in God, then eventually you will have the opportunity to tell your story. You will have that 30 seconds where they will say, you know what, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you do that? And you can tell them. And so from here on, let's do nothing together, right? And nothing means this. Bless the community. Bless the community. And that double meaning with the word community is absolutely intended. We are community Christian church, right? And there is a community out there. And we absolutely want to go out of these doors and bless the community out there. But Paul says, especially bless, do good to all, especially to the household of faith. And so we want to bless people that are right here in this room at the same time as we're blessing people outside of these walls. And we don't do it because there's something we have to do. We do it because in Jesus... It's already been done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you so much that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. That you have won this great salvation for us. That your son was willing to come and live a perfect life to die on a cross to take all of our sin upon himself so that we can be saved, so that we can have life. So, Father, help us to live that life and help us to go out and do good to all because we know that whatever we sow, we will reap. That's as sure as tomatoes coming up from tomato seeds. It's going to happen. So help us to be sowers that sow good seed, that sow love, that sow peace, that sow joy. In the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen.